You're listening to klfm.org in beautiful Split, Croatia. PSST. Are you ready? Here it is. Stare with your ear. Meanwhile. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you better explain. That's what I took in. I'd explain. Ever think about how something begins? It could be this radio show. It could be this. It could be anything. Um, it could be a drop of water. How it gets started. I figure something has to be stopped. Maybe a, a water rivulet has to be stopped before a drop can get started. See, the uh, water from the stopped water rivulet goes over an edge, let's say. See? And then, see it there? Slowly, beautifully, the water forms itself into a drop. And then, as the drop grows in size, as it slowly takes shape and gets heavier, until it's too heavy, and it finds itself plummeting through space, a beautiful, fantastic, topsy-turvy optical fact of falling water drop, running finally up against down, splashing into splinters of watery wet, a fountain of droplets. And all the while, just above, there's another getting ready, almost ready to drop drop. And we, inside, plummet down again. Down we go, into dawn. We splash back on noon. Slip into puddle by dark. And then... Oh, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. How does anything begin? How about now? Exactly. Mutations. And welcome to another exciting edition of Mid-Valley Mutations, here on KLFM, in beautiful Split, Croatia. And yeah, we are uh, getting into a little bit of something, well, actually more typical for this show than we have been doing for the last few episodes in a row, uh, we lost a pioneer of radio and, well, a genre that was invented by the man himself, uh, word jazz, uh, Ken Nordine passed on February 16th of 2019 at the age of 98? What? <sighs> wow! That is an impressive run for almost anyone. Uh, but the reason he warrants his own entire episode will become very apparent as we dig into the work of the man himself. Because there is really no one else like Ken Nordine. Uh, nor uh, should there be. <laughs> uh, it is uh, certainly something... Uh, that you, you've never heard uh, if you aren't familiar with his work. So, so we're going to run through some of uh, 
Ken Nordine's stuff here. Uh, I mean, he was a uh, radio personality and voiceover artist, probably more than anything else. His voice is almost immediately recognizable. And uh, yeah, once you start kind of remembering, you start to realize where you've heard this man before. Uh, certainly, uh, he is on a number of things here and there. Uh, probably stuff that uh, you didn't even realize was uh, was him. Uh, so yeah, uh, the Nordine is on the menu today, and uh, let me tell you, there is a lot of really cool stuff that we're going to try to get into, uh, including uh, excerpts from his long-running radio program, Word Jazz, which, uh, well, featured him kind of doing his thing. It's it's hard to describe, and I think it's even uh, more tedious for me to go on about it, so why don't I just bring you uh, more Word Jazz today. It's uh, The People Who Died, Part 4, uh, and this... Uh, is going to focus in on our good friend and uh, fellow broadcaster, Ken Nordine. Mid Valley Mutations. Now, why don't you keep your ears wide open? You're going to be looking long and hard with them today. Here's the, uh, the control room for the studio where we have now, the amazing thing. This was was in its day the highest form of the art. This is a wonderful console. We have 24 track, 16 track. Now the, the whole thing has in, in essence been replaced with a couple of computers. That's, you can't fight progress. <laughs> Many recordings were done here. A lot of them are very, very talented. Tom Waits was here. Jerry Garcia played here. They'd say, what are, what are we gonna do? And I said, well, you get something going, get a groove going. And uh, you'll know, and I'll know when you know, when it's happening, then I'll jump on top of it and we'll go from there. drove a big old Lincoln with suicide doors and a sewing machine in the back. A thousand bing-bangs near the end. Nothing was ever what it was. And a light bulb that looked like an alligator egg was mounted up front on the hood. Had myself a kind of brain stolen. Took a tablespoon of buzz. She had a tattoo gun that she made herself from a cassette motor and a guitar string. X-ray eyes can see right through me. Naked thought put on your clothes. And she always had leaves in her hair. You hear that funny laughing? Just the call of ancient crows. And she cut two holes in the back of her dress because she had these scapula wings. Somewhere near the raveled edges by the pool of thinkabits. And they were covered with feathers and electrical tape. And when she got good and drunk, she would sing. Once again, the notion hits me. Half is quite a bit of wit. 
about Elkhart, Indiana, where the wind is tall and folks mind their own business. Power up that upper story. Ten percent is all you use. She had a hundred old baseballs that she'd taken from kids. She collected bones of all kinds. Take a flight of simple fancy. You're the one who has to choose. And she lived in a trailer under a bridge. And she made her own whiskey and gave cigarettes to kids. Okay, all right for you. Look into the tiger's eye. And she'd been struck by lightning seven or eight times, and she hated the mention of rain. See if you can see the desert. Pour a drink. My throat is dry. And she made up her own language, and she wore rubber boots. She could fix anything with string. Poetry ain't gonna catch me. Climb up this high plateau. And her lips were like cherries, and she was stronger than any man. And she smelled like nutmeg and piss. Finish up what you were thinking. Just a day or so ago. And she put mud on a bee sting I got at the creek, and she gave me my very first kiss. Illustrate for visionaries. Go buy a doodle pad. I discovered the valley of the shifting, whispering sands while prospecting for gold in one of our western states. I saw the silent windmills, the crumbling water tanks, the bones of cattle and burros picked clean by buzzards, bleached by the desert suns. I stumbled over a crumbling buckboard nearly covered by the sand, and stopping to rest, I heard a tinkling, whispering sound, and suddenly realized that even though the wind was quiet, the sand did not lie still. I seemed to be surrounded by a mystery so heavy and oppressive I could scarcely breathe. For days and weeks I wandered aimlessly in this valley, seeking answers to the many questions that raced through my fevered mind. Where was everyone? Why the white bones, the dry wells, the barren valley where people must have lived and died? Finally, I could go no farther. My food and water gone, I sat down and buried my face in my hands. And resting thus, I learned the secret of the shifting, whispering sands. How I managed to escape from the valley, I do not know. But now, to pay my final debt for being spared, I must tell you what I learned out on the desert so many years ago. Find this is not so. 
Well, I'd be in that little booth there. You see it? Yeah, right through the glass. Yeah, that little booth with the microphone and, and earphones. So I could hear what's happening here, and I could uh, talk to the control room. I could see what they were doing, and I would tell the musicians, well, let's say I was going to talk about spiders. spiders. I'd uh, tell them I want the, the uh, piano player to give the effect. Well, of course, he was using synthesized sound, too. The effect of the spider moving. Someone else could be the net. Someone else could be uh, the sly. Uh, and so we'd, we'd create, on an, in an abstract, three forms, whatever they thought of. And they could hear what I was doing, so it was a rapport situation. It was, in a sense, word jazz, where the structure comes from the basis of what you're thinking about. Go Dracula Stark and quick, eat up tasty, lost gnats in the dark. If you do something long enough, even something that you don't like, that you might even hate, you can begin to do it well enough to make everyone else think you love it. You can even fool yourself if you're not careful, I know. I'm very good at fooling myself. When I was around 16, I decided that I was going to become a great concert violinist. You see, I was given a violin at the age of five as a present for taking castor oil, and I made the best of a bad situation. But at 16, I decided that I was going to really try, take four or five lessons a week, practice seven or eight hours a day from this tremendous teacher who had just come over from Germany. I say I decided. That's a lie. Roger decided. Maybe you know someone like Raj. I used to think he was the greatest thing that had happened to the piano since Walter Gieseking. He wasn't, but I thought so. But there was one thing about him, a, a tragic character flaw. Something in his smile, his teeth. I told him about it. He didn't know what to say. Oh, he had a game, by the way, that he played with me. He had me go to the piano and strike a chord, and then with his back turned on the other side of the room, he'd name all the notes. I'd start with simple chords, like a C chord or an F chord, and then I'd get a distended 11th chord or an augmented 7th or a perverted 27th. Still, he'd name all the notes until I wanted to lean on the piano. He had me on my bloody knees in front of his superiority. And I hated him for having absolute pitch. But then, knowing that he'd gone too far, he became kindly. There are certain kinds of kindness that are like fish hooks. He said, you know, you could become the Swedish Yasha Heifetz. <laughs> I love that kind of talk. He transported me from that living room. I was carried by his flattery to some huge stage, something that would make Carnegie Hall seem très intime. And there, in what was larger than Death Valley, I was playing the closing measures of some impossibly difficult concerto, as if it were nothing at all. Thousands of 
thousands upon thousands of people listening like so many hushed cabbage heads as the last few notes sang out with incredible purity and died away. Then there was a silence after, very much like the quiet that must have followed the Gettysburg Address. And then the audience went mad. Bravo, encore, and the applause sweeping across the stage and I there bowing in the warmth of the footlights, turning every now and then toward Roger, who accompanied me just to let a little bit of the applause glance off to show him that I could be magnanimous with power. And then after a half hour of this bravo and encore, I broke my rule against playing encores, which I had made at the age of eight and played the old folks at home just to make my mother happy. I'll never forget the way it was there in Roger's living room. I'll never forget the bay window and the sunshine and the potted fern that his mother loved so well in Roger. The way he slithered past me, past the potted adder's tongue that his mother loved so well, through the undulating sunshine with its dust climbing like a Brownian movement toward madness, over to the upright piano. As he played his favorite composition there in the twilight, the Moonlight Sonata, I saw, as if for the first time, his teeth. And something inside of me sagged. I said, see you, Raj. And I put my violin in its case. I slammed the front door. I walked the long sidewalk home, not stepping on cracks. And I told Efterucci, cement contractor, 1927, I'm through with music. <laughs> I've often wondered if Efterucci, cement contractor, 1927, wanted to lay cement sidewalk like crazy. You're listening to KLFM.org in beautiful split Croatia. Mutations. Oh, what's the use, says Puce, with a more or less colorless sigh that you can hear from the bottomest low to the top of most high. From this edge of spectrum to that. What's the use? What's the use? What's the use? A rant of a chant, so silly of puce. As silly, I'd say, oh, sillier still than the silliest silly of the silliest goose. Here's the trouble with puce. Puce is a victim of loose thinking, thinks poetry pays. <laughs> no one these days pays the least attention to things poetic. Ain't got no time to waste on rhyme. But Puce uh, doesn't Richard know Dick Mark. Richard Mark's father could be a screw loose. And I would sit in and, and recite poems that oh, they're well. playing. What's piano the and bass. It was fine, except the same people came every week, so I couldn't 
recite the same form over and over again. So I'd make something up, you know. I have a few pops that I go, hey, I can do something in that. What do you think of grades? Not much these days. It's lost its power. They've gotten it all wrinkled and used up. It's a shame. Such strength it had. There still could be something to it, though, if you knew how to use it. How would that be? A sincere respect for the old-fashioned great. I don't think we're capable of that. I say something can still be great. In what sense? Great like the mountains? Great like Romanian swimming parties? That's a great interpretation. See? You have helped ruin it. I am a mere member of the generation. Like to get into your brain. Here, where you think with the thinker that's in you to think with. Think with the thinker that's in you to think with. Here, where you feel with the feeler that's in you to feel with. Consider with your considering intelligence six commercials in search of a client. Commercial one. If you wanted to raise money for some good cause, a lot of people do, or even for some just fair cause, a lot of causes are just that, just fair. Might even be a doubtful cause. But no matter the cause, good, just fair, doubtful. You, with a little help from your friends, could put something together the way you know it has to be. On the same sort of surface you're listening to right now, send it to the passionate few or the passionate many and wait for the money to come in. It'll come. Did for a concerned charity in California. Best return they ever had for their money-raising efforts. It's worth a serious try. What's the use? You can get to the guys in other way. I tried everything you could try. They won't buy it. They, they just won't. Commercial 2. If you're tired of seeing the same old thing done in the same old style and the same old time after time, you know that getting across what you'd like to have said with a new and different slant is what it's all about. So some special attention will be paid. Here's what you do. You pick out the magazine you know will reach, and then you tell your customer on one of our sound sheets with inflected print that vibrates in midair the same old story a new way. Republic Steel did. Five ads in five months. And the buyers of steel that read their trade magazines read the Republic Steel ads with their ears. It was worth a good try. Feel with the feeling. Look, what if they did buy it? How would you get to do it? You couldn't get anybody to do anything that would make any sense on it. 
three. If you'd like to help someone, help someone, help someone else, you should get in touch with a teacher or two who have your kind of imagination and tell them how much can be done for so little, especially for some of the special facts of this fanciful nature that should be lifted off the printed page. <laughs> tell them about these Evertone sound sheets and how you could help them help someone help himself. The Methodist Church did. So did Scholastic Magazine. Everything from Sunday school lessons to a study of different regional dialects in the United States. Check it out. Let's say you had an assignment to help sell something as tangible as land. Tangible land that was being developed, surrounded by a crowd of intangibles, happiness and contentment and peace of mind. What you could do is this. You could gather together on one of these sound sheets, we'd help, an intense group of home sweet home thoughts and notions and phrases, add a background of contemporary mixed with classic, package the happy blending with a graphic dream of an envelope, and use direct mail to reach your special market of intangible dreamers. We know a land developing company who has done just that and been most successful. Worked fine for them. Can for you too. There's another way you can play with these sound sheets. If you work with politicians, get the man who aspires to get the right writer to get together the right words. Be sure they're politic. Then record it all the right way and with an intriguing sleeve with an appropriate picture. Let the postman deliver the message to the door of the body politic. Quite a few successful politicians have done just that. 1,500,000 of these sound sheets were sent by Ronald Reagan. And look where he wound up. Tell the political friend of yours that you want to help about the sound sheets. Do you think they're going to play it? Do they see it? Do you think they're going to play it? Commercial sex. Or say if you just wanted to make the world feel better about something good that's happened. Give the group a feeling of, gosh, it's worth it. We work for just one swell company and I'm glad. As I say, if you're the public relations man who wants to build the greatest intangible of all, goodwill, you could use these Evertone sound sheets, same as Bilko Ford did. They gave out a special commemorating issue to remind everyone that works for them and the stockholders of the Apollo 11 historic first flight. You could do something like that for the company you're working with. you want to say for who you want to say it for and you know how it should be said the people at Evertone can help you with as few as 500 of these high fidelity sound sheets for as little as $115 or with as many as a million or more that costs a little more just get in touch or let us get in touch with you thank you thank you And that was a big, long slab of Ken Nordine uh, with uh, 
a couple of things kind of uh, thrown in here and there. Uh, there was a excellent studio tour that he gave uh, for a radio station uh, where he just kind of talks about his process. And so that's kind of what we've been chopping up in between bits. Uh, but we did hear at the beginning uh, an excerpt from the very first episode of Word Jazz that Ken Nordine ever did for radio, uh, which I thought was kind of nice to toss in. Uh, and then A Thousand Bing Bangs with Ken Nordine and Tom Waits uh, and David Grisman. Uh, yeah, that I mean, kind of makes sense when you think about it. Tom Waits is so much like inspired by the beat period spoken word uh, jazz but he wants to tell kind of you know more stories that he grew up with uh in that melu so i i i totally get them working together what i do not get is billy vaughn and ken nordine making a record together but then again uh the 60s were really really weird but uh here it is uh, for you to enjoy on the program. Uh, uh, Roger uh, by Ken Nordine from the Jazz Horizons Word Jazz album. Uh, Puce uh, from that Colors album. Uh, we'll check back in with that record because it's just too awesome. Uh, great from that Ken Nordine does Robert Schur record uh, where uh, Ken basically kind of reinterprets uh, Robert Schur's poetry. Uh, and then uh, that little excerpt there, six commercials in search of a client, uh, a problem that so many people have. Uh, yeah, you know, Ken Rodine kind of works better in longer chunks. So I'm going to maybe just let this next section play out uh, for oh, a good long while. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is... Exactly. Mutations. And we are doing The People Who Died here, uh, part four, with our uh, presentation of Ken Nordine's work, uh, someone who passed and uh, is sorely, sorely missed. <laughs> What's happening? We're just all. Here we are, you and I. I am Word Jazz. Here we are with something imaginary in the trembling air. Between us. <laughs> Word Jazz. Where? Will the imaginary take us this time? Sometimes I wonder where I've been or where I'm going, don't you? And sometimes I wonder how to uh, 
explain. <laughs> isn't so easy to be simple. It isn't so easy to be plain. Yeah, plain and simple. That's what I'd like to be, wouldn't you? Clear as a crystal, like they say. <laughs> Then you could look right through me. And you could see the games that I play. And I could see the games that you play. Like, uh, take a look down this street. One that my mind likes to walk. You see all the doors? See all the windows? Imagine they all kind of talk. And that you, in your quick looking into, will see the same as I see. Or maybe it's got to be different. As different as you are from me. Some people love when it's easy. Some want a mountain to climb. Some people laugh at the trouble. And some people hate all the time. This tick-tocking tick-tock that you and I call now. This curving out space between here and there. The ways that we sense what is happening The fact that we care and don't care. Maybe the street that we're walking, with all of its windows and doors, will take us to where, where, where we remember dreams of forevermore. Where? Come through this door. I was thinking about uh, time. Don't you? <laughs> Funny thing about time. Sometimes I wonder. The way it keeps ticking away. How to explain. Day after night after day. Isn't so easy. And each of us only have so much of it. To be simple. And we. Isn't so easy. Run out of time. Some of us get cheated. And some of us get more of it than others. That's what I'd like to be. Three score years and ten. Clear as crystal. How many tic-tacs there is? You could look green. But I figured it out. Into the All those tic-tacs. Each and every year. Take a look down this street. If you live three score years and ten, sometimes I wonder that'd be two billion, two hundred seven million, five hundred twenty. Sometimes I wonder thousand tick-tocks. Oh wait a minute! Isn't so easy. Forgot about leap year.
Yeah, you'll come with me, won't you? Sure. I think you'll like where we go. Sometimes we'll get there fast. And sometimes we'll get there slow. Yeah. See all those windows and doors? They'll take us to where we can remember dreams of forevermore. The tick-tocking time that we call now. The curving of space here and there. The ways that we sense what is happening. The fact that we care and don't care. Come along with me now. We'll see where we go. Inside this radio show. Okay. I love you, Edna. Edna. My honky talk girl. Edna. You're listening to klfm.org in beautiful split Croatia. This is yesterday, if it ever was. This has all the things I did during my career. Here are things that were done in London for the Royal Festival Hall I did with Laurie Anderson. And these are all old ad campaigns that you did voiceover work Yep, for. a lot of those. There's the metropolitan structures. Music. Come on, old trademark. Time for your walk. Where will you take me? Sure wish you could talk. I know what you'd tell me. How your family began with the same Levi's blue jeans worn by this man. It's new software. Yeah. It's new hardware. Hey. It's the next generation of the most successful video tool of all time. A whole new video It'll be the end of blah, blah, blah television. <laughs> the Video Toaster 4000. I was talking to Tom about this movie that nobody wants me to make. It's a musical called M, starring uh, Siamese twins connected by the limbs. <laughs> connected by the limbs. Now, I That's figured that how to do that, too. See, I had this... Yeah. A dentist friend, oh, yeah. very religious guy. Yeah. In fact, he believes in the laying on of hands, and he he really would touch a tooth and make it better. Yeah, yeah. That's why I go to him. I can't stand pain. Right. But I'm getting off the the track. He has a, uh, uh, you know, I think he'd go along. He could be in the movie. I okay. figured he should All be. Right. All right. Is he? Does he have any acting experience? No, no, no. He's, no? He, he'd be a reactor. Ah. Yeah. Uh, that's just. Yeah. He's got this, you know, mask that he wears. Yeah. And yellow gloves. He's, he's afraid. That yeah. He, you know, 
very nervous. But I get the camera on him, a wide-angle camera on him. Yeah, yeah. And I'd ask him if he could make a double mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. What I'm thinking of, you've seen these things that they use in the circus? Uh -huh. uh, where the, the girl bites into this mouthpiece and they pull her up. Ah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. They, they, uh, they, they suspend her by, by, and she's biting onto some kind of a right. stick. Or up to the yeah. top of the tent? Yeah, right. Well, what I, he'd make a double thing with a little rubber holding it together. Ah, yeah. And then we'd audition these identical twins. Yeah. And, and that would hold them together so that it would seem, you know, it would look like I'm talking about. Right. Okay. Hmm. Maybe we should have a, a boy and girl. Are there boy and girl identical twins? I, I, well, they're not. I wouldn't call them identical. I mean, if they were, they were boy and boy Well, maybe that girl. could be. And then they could be separated in the film. Uh-huh. See, see, the idea is not just that, though. That's just yeah. part of it. Yeah. There's another guy in the film that uh, I try to help me. Because I, I thought of calling the movie The Devout Catalyst yeah. is the title. Mm -hmm. There's another guy who uh, is a tattoo artist. Hmm. And, but he's avant-garde. He, he wants to do something very special. Something new. Yeah. In the world. So we go to this chemist yeah. that I know, and he makes a slippery ink. Yeah. So the tattoo, you know, it just, it just doesn't sit there. Why? It moves hmm. slowly across the surface of the skin. Yeah. Toward the nearest opening. See, there's ah. how many openings are there? Well, you mean you mean orifice? Uh, yeah. How many? Yeah. How many actual? One, two, three, three, four, five. Whichever uh, one it's closest to, you yeah. see, goes in there, and then it moves inside your body through the endothelium. Yeah. And say it was an eagle. Yeah. It gets inside of you and it gets digested. Yeah. Maybe it gets stuck and behind your right kneecap. Right. Yeah. You rub it and gets loose. And when it comes out, it looks like a clay. Right. Or maybe a Rouen or, you know, or Thurber. You know. That's wild. Yeah. But well, uh, I got a little money laying around. I, I've but been, you know. what we'd have to have with that is, uh, well, that's a special effect. Yeah. We'll have yeah. to get some kind of a decal that will slide across the skin. Yeah. But the trouble is when I tell any about this, they, they laugh and... <laughs> so what I figure I'll do is put my own money in it. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, just put but in the money. movie, yeah. the kids, my three kids, mm -hmm. and my wife, want to have me committed. Right. Yeah, that's the plot. <laughs> that if you really do what you want to do, they, they'll commit you. Yeah. Wow. It'll be a great movie. Well, are, are you going to direct? Uh, well, you, if we can get Jerry to do the music the track. Music, yeah. And, and you could, you know... Maybe I could play a part. You, well, you could be the guy I'm talking to about. Yeah, right. I bet you. Get a far-out bar and sit there and... Star. Yeah. Yeah. With a musical called M. Hmm. Well, I'm looking to diversify my investment portfolio, and I, I've been looking to get into something strange, you know, so... Hey, what we could do, we could have you in it. Take out your wallet, yeah, and moths fly out. Yeah, that's a special effect too. <laughs> you get a bug guy for that. They they have bug guys in Hollywood. Right? Uh, all they do is they work in the insect world. You're gonna have a lot of medical footage in this too, I guess. Yeah, I could put that yeah. thing in about the January flies too in our yeah. bedroom. Yeah. January that, flies. What? That was insane. What are January flies? Well, we don't have them in Chicago, but. Yeah. In the middle of January, yeah. went to the bedroom, and there were 20 of these 
almost as big as horseflies wow. on the pink walls. And uh, my That's wife annoying. Says, oh, it's terrible. And they, they were sluggish because it was January. They were a little slow. Yeah, and I couldn't hit them with the paper because they'd splat. Yeah, and I couldn't job. spray them. You know, you're going to sleep. You no, want that in the room. No, I'd kill myself that yeah. way. So I got the bright idea to get the vacuum cleaner, and with the long hose, we yeah. <laughs> we sucked them into the the vacuum cleaner. Wow. And then when I know they were all gone. Well, but they were in the vacuum cleaner, really. Yeah, it's still alive too. Yeah, because it's like a wind tunnel. Yeah, they went down there. So we, I put some, um, uh, you know, tissue paper at the end. Yeah. So they wouldn't get out. Hmm. Yeah, but they come back this the next night. There were twenty or thirty more. Wow. So, uh, well, what I what I did then? I I called a chimney sweep. Chimney sweep. Yeah. Uh, there's a girl by the name of Debbie Dove. She's from, a chimney sweep. Yeah, from Vermont. And uh, she said, "Let me check your chimney." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good place to start. I mean, if you have a fly problem, a lot yeah. of people will look in the chimney first. And she uh, took the barricade that I had, so no, nobody could come in through the chimney. Mm-hmm. There were two uh, dead squirrels inside there, you know, just uh, oh. and the the flies belonged to the squirrels. All right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she she sold us three uh, squirrel traps for the chimneys, and uh, yeah, we're safe now. Yeah, no more flies. Do you think we could get her in the film? Gee, I don't know. We could write a part for her. Yeah, uh, we should. You know, she have any uh, film experience? I guess we'd have to get two dead squirrels in the film too. Yeah, well, you get an animal guy for that. Yeah. yeah. Gee, I'm so glad that you're interested in the yeah. film. Really. Yeah, I think uh, I'm ready to go into production. So you just let me know. Oh, great! We'll call it the Devout Catalyst. I love it. Yeah, good title.、Uh, a lot of action in the film too. I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a. I have one thing that I.、Uh, I have this picture window ant colony that I'll. I'll have is for the titles. Ah, nice. Yeah. So they, the 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 ants will actually spell out the the title of the、right. film and and the credits. Well, they'll actually pull little tissue paper、ah, credits、yeah. through it. Yeah. What about a fly with a little trailer with the title of the film on it flying、nice. around the bedroom? Nice. Well, Tom, you've made me feel a lot better. <laughs> Thanks. I, seriously, I I thought no one cared, but thanks. I'm there for you, Ken. You're a pal. It always whispers to me of the days of long ago, when the settlers and the miners fought the crafty Navajo. How the cattle roamed the valley. Happy people worked the land, and now. Is covered by the shifting, whispering sands. How the miner left his buckboards, went to work his claims that day. 
and the burrows broke their halters when they thought he'd gone to stay. Wandered far in search of water onto old sidewinder's well. And there, their bones picked clean by buzzards that were circling when they fell. It's very difficult to uh, illustrate thought. You know, you, you, I, you take a word like ebullient, which is a lovely word. The, uh, it means crazy happy. Well, how do you describe that visually? So I, I, I get together something in here and I, I look in this thing and find myself a, a program that I use, which I'm not going to go into now, but that allows me to play with the pixels so that I can find uh, a mathematical iteration in, uh, that'll go with what I'm thinking of. Give me something that, is, that aids in the bets on a, on a visual level that isn't uh, obvious, like be beautiful for a forest, I suppose. But this way, I'd have to go out and f film a forest here I can create abstract images that go, I think, perfectly with what I want to do. this stranger who came into our town. He was tall and had a dark look about him. And a special brilliance was in his eyes. And when he looked at us, there was the feeling that he could see right down to the bottom. We may have been mistaken in this, but at the time, no questions were asked. The questions always come later. All we cared about was the mystery we sensed in this stranger, and we waited to see what would happen. One evening that was different from any other, 
He got us all together in the big auditorium. He stood there on the huge stage. The only light was on him. And we waited in the dark. Then out of his tallness came the chanting. First as a whisper we could hardly hear. something we didn't understand. He had trapped us without our knowing it. Possibly it was his manner. And we came alive to him as he slowly moved us with his chant through the land of hush into insistent, savage, throbbing crescendos of ecstasy. As if it were the only thing we could do. We started to chant with him. Flippity jib bum, the bippity bop, the flippity jib bum, the bippity bop. And he was up on the high stage, laughing with all his might, shouting, Yes, yes, yes. But there were those among us who were jealous of his powers, who felt they should be in the center of the stage, with the light shining on them. They were against our hero and the chanting and are going to be with him every free moment. And so little by little, a little later, these critics set to work to make nonsense out of the sense of what we were doing. And they succeeded. They destroyed our hero's faith in himself. He didn't have it anymore. After a few disappointing times in the big auditorium, the light gone out of him. We all stopped going. And the man who had once seemed so tall and who now seems so much smaller left our town saying no, no, no. We lived through the boredom of the time that followed telling each other pale stories of what once was and what might have been if we lived on histories and hopes. We did this until the miracle we never thought would happen again happened. Another stranger came into our town, and he too was tall and dark and had eyes that could look right down into the bottom of you. And he got us all together in the big auditorium, and with a light on him, we were in the dark. He chanted, Flippity chip bum the bippity pop, the flippity chip bum the bippity pop, and we joined in, and the magic was in us, and he was laughing, and all his might was with him, and he was shouting, Yes, yes, yes. But there were those among us who were jealous and so forth, you know. You know what they did. Little by a little, a little later. They put us back on the narrow path. This is the way things have been in our town for as long as anyone cares to remember. By the way, how are things in your town? Brown. Among purists, 
and you know how many purists there are, Brown was having some difficulty. Some of the purists wanted Brown to be more... Others wanted Brown to be more... Still others wanted Brown to be... To be basically Brown. Yeah. A lesser color might have fallen apart. But Brown met the problem beautifully. By becoming just about as basic. Just about as subtle. As you can just about get. That's why you hear so many people saying, My, that's a subtle brown. That's the way it's been ever since. Even with a light tan. Or sweet, dark chocolate. Or deep brown eyes. Next time you see brown, any shade, remember Subtle, basic, brown. I had a wonderful time being in his dream. Did you have an important role? I was the announcer. Did you realize that you were playing to a particularly small audience? It was excellent practice and a definite step up. I hope you made a good impression. I'm going to get into as many dreams as I can from now on. It's no cinch. You'll have to be very nice to the dreamers, or they won't let you in. When they hear that I'm good, they'll beg me to be in their dreams. You might never get your big chance. I'll have to work hard for the right breaks. It all sounds like an agonizing rat race. If you make it, it's worth it. So what if you are in dreams? What then? Maybe someday I can have a dream of my own. You're listening to klfm.org in beautiful Split, Croatia. And that was another wonderful selection of Ken Nordine items and bits, uh, all of which are pretty, uh, pretty weird and pretty wonderful, and uh, exactly why we love him and miss him so much. This is, uh, of course, our tribute to the people who have passed in the last few years, and uh, in uh, going over my notes, I realized 
you can't just play one thing by Ken Nordine. <laughs> you might have to do a couple of shows, actually. <laughs> uh, he was a, a rather uh, imposing figure uh, on spoken word, on um, radio, uh, on all sorts of things. And uh, yeah, he's certainly someone who uh, we must pause and pay a little bit of attention to before we move on. So, uh, in that last selection, we heard another chunk of uh, the first episode of Word Jazz. Uh, pretty cool uh, episode, I'm, I'm starting to dig. Uh, more of that Ken Nordine and Tom Waits session, which, uh, wow, what a wonderful pairing of the two of them. I, I love how uh, Tom is basically just waiting the whole time to try to throw out something that's as good as what Ken has already wound up. And, and Ken is completely off the dome. It's really, I mean, just listening to the two of them. It's really, what a, what a, what an amazing meeting of the minds that was. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, the other side of that shifting whispering sands record with Billy Vaughn and Ken Nordine. So weird. Uh, and then, one of the classic Nordine routines, Fliberty Jib. One of my faves, too. Uh, and then, of course, we gotta paint the town brown and have another dream with Nordine and Robert Shore. That brings us up to now, uh, which means that uh, we probably should get going. Uh, yeah, we're gonna get into some Dime Store Radio Theater after this, so. Uh, my time is a wasting, so why don't I just get right back to it? Uh, this is The People Who Died, part four, going over the work of Ken Nordine, a man who made it to the improbable age of 98, which is just more and more astonishing the more and more I think about it. So, um, yeah, uh, it's uh, Mid Valley. <laughs> Mutations. And it sounds like this. Dumpty comes in quick as snap. Ball apart begins. Mr. Maybe not so smart. Grins his silly grins. Clown around goes grumble down. Dead end avenue. Isn't that all huff and puff? Running through the blue. Blues Day sings its grave hope. Slightly out of tune. <laughs> Laughter stuffs her cotton ears. Pricks a kid's balloon. Lady Snake does bumps and grinds. Throbbing Blinko's eyes. Edgy bites off fingernails. Shorter than his wise. Ends day starts out with a bang. Wimper wanders by, tells the deaf on Mumble Street, handkerchiefs can cry 
Who poo-poo's the notion down? Crowds are here to sway. Evil has sufficiencies equal to the day. Thursday follows. Focus shot. Bottom bottle glass. Fuzzy snaps of one and all's graduating class. Hard to see just where we've been. Tick-tock takes a fade. Oh, if you meet sweet sunny shine, save a little shade. Cry days, baby, maybe laughs. Tickle deep inside. Doctor, no, no, shakes his head slowly, side to side. Opposite and just the same. Sunset sleeps with dawn. Bleak ends yawn in front of each. Glad that Cryday's gone. Shatterday, the pieces break. Fall apart, complete. Seems that Mr. Smithereens had a fate to meet. Told you so, now tells again. Get your cliches worth. Wish the meek could get it all. Even just the earth. Sunday smiles as if it's high. Doubtful Tommy prays. Gibberish upon his tongue, testing faithful ways. Congregations congregate, guess they always will. Huddle happy, lean on me. Lonely hearts are ill. Seven ways to see the meek. Seven kinds of cruel. Don't you let him get you down. Don't you be a fool. Sure as shoots, tomorrow comes. If you're here or not, grab the goodies while you can. Hell is awful hot. What is it that keeps you going? A uh, patient, beautiful wife. No stress. I, uh, I have... Uh, my ego is under control. I, I, I know there's so much to prove that I'll never be able to prove any of it. But, and I hate boredom, so... Uh, by fooling around with the things that I do, I, I have so many projects I can't die. I'll be too busy. Tonight I have a friend with me here who is hooked on TV. Jim. 
When uh, did you first contract the TV habit? Three years ago, Ken, I became a idiot. A vidiot? Is this a term that uh, I don't understand too much about being... Well, that's what we people call ourselves. Vidiots. Yeah. Well, how did this happen? How did you get into this, this terrible situation that has torn your soul so far apart? Oh, it was when I started watching uh, Milton Berle. Milton Berle. Well, um, I got sort of wrapped up in it. Was this a know? friend of yours? No, he's he's a fellow that's on television. Oh, I see. I see you don't watch television very much, huh? Well, I I have had uh, other interests, and that's why I. But we're discussing you. Oh yeah. Uh, Milton Berle was the fellow that uh, put you on this. Yeah, uh, I got wrapped up in the show, Ken. It, it just. Uh, the sort of thing that made me feel relaxed and uh, forget my troubles and worries and would you I, start out with a just a watching a little bit huh? yeah just a little bit a few hours a day at first and then uh, how much are you watching now well I figure it's uh, 15 hours again 15 hours and you how long do you sleep well I usually get about uh, four or five hours sleep. Oh, I see. Well, that leaves 15 hours that you watch TV and four or five hours. That, do you, how long do you work? Uh, four or five hours a day? Or? Yeah, I'll, when I work. Oh, there are days when you don't even work. You just... I can't. Well, why I not? I watch television. Oh. Well, unless I you... I have a TV set in my car, too, you know that? In your car? Oh. Well, that will have to go right away. Well, they say it's illegal, but uh, I don't care. Uh, I can't miss uh, Godfrey. And uh, do you realize I'm missing uh, Steve Allen right now? I had no idea. Who is this? This is the longest I've been away from a set in Steve two Allen. Years. Is this some friend of yours that you watch television with? He's on television. Well, the same He's way you're star. on television. He's a star on television. He's a star on television. What do you mean? He's one of the guys that you're hooked with? I mean, you watch him? Yeah, yeah. What does he give you? Uh, entertainment. Makes me laugh. Makes me forget my worries. Well, you mustn't have any worries at all if you're watching television 15 hours a day. Well, that's why I came here, day. I do, and I don't know just why I have them. Uh, What's your problem? I shouldn't have any worries because uh, television makes me happy again, but... What's your problem? I'm worried. About what? I watch too much television. If television gives you what you say it gives I you... I can feel pain starting right now. I've got to have a set. You've got to have a Turn set. Turn on that set, will you, Ken? No, I, I, that set is, is, is uh, not on. connected. That is not... Turn it on, will you? No, that is not... I'm trying to get these pains. Listen, I don't care who's on television right now. Oh, Ken! There's probably Turn nothing on, but an old, late movie. I don't care. It's not worth it. Turn it, Turn it on. Listen, please. read this please. book. Here, please. try this. Here's a little Adler comic book. Ma'am. Turn it on. All right. Let me help you. Let me help you. I'll just let you watch for a few seconds. There you are. Oh, that's much better. All right. Let's see what it is. 
standing in the center of the screen. He's got a guitar. And he's got... He's all hair. Now, let me explain how it works. You, know, you take this pin, see? Yeah. And I... Ooh. No, I just stuck it into my hand there a little bit. So, at once, messages are sent along nerve fibers up to the brain, telling the brain what's happening. A little pinprick pain usually means that damage is being done, in this instance, to the cells and tissues right where the point of the pin went. And your brain has to know about it, so it can stop what's going on and pulls away. But on the way, up to your brain, what happens? The, the sensory nerves pass through a kind of a miniature telephone exchange with its own switchboard. Here it passes the bad news about the pin to the motor nerves, which are nearby. Motor nerves? Yes, yes. Sorry to say this, but there's a pinprick on your finger. Oh. Pass the word along, will you please? Messages are sent down to the motor nerve fibers. The muscles contract, bones move, and you snatch your hand away from the sharp point before the pin can do any more damage. Reflex action. It happens before your brain knows what has hurt you. But a fraction of a second later, when the pain message reaches your brain... Hey, brain! This is pain! Yes. Something is coming up to see you! Say something! You probably exclaim, ouch! Then you look at the scratch to see how serious it is. Your eyes, sensory organs, they send a message to your brain describing the scratch in detail. Brain, this is the eye. I'd like you to know that there's a slight uh, indentation on the index finger of the uh, right hand. Self-inflicted, I presume. There's a little uh, drop of blood there. Uh, nothing serious. Glad you set out, though. Good going, brain. Then uh, the pin drops to the floor. You hear a faint tinkle as it falls on the floor. Where's that? Your ears. They're sensory organs, too. They send a message to the brain. Hey, brain! This is the ears! Yeah, I'm the right ear. I heard it first. It was closer to me. Ah, the pin fell on the floor right down there. See it? Thought you'd like to know. My brain kind of says thanks without a voice. What about the bleeding? And uh, you go down, you pick up.
pick up the pin. The motor nerves are going to work now, activating your muscles. And the sensory nerve endings in your fingers are busy as little bees. They feel the coldness and the hardness of the pin, its shape and its size. And they tell the brain... Hey, brain. Uh, this is my fingers. Fingers of the right hand, yeah. We've discovered a little pin here. It uh, feels cold and hard and uh, very sharp. Uh, watch this, huh? Yes, it's lying next to a piece of paper. And all these messages tell your brain that you are actually picking up a pin. Don't get blood on the not carpet. not picking up the piece of paper. Please don't get blood on the carpet. Now, that's just a simple thing. Yes, don't get blood on the carpet. Isn't it? It is. I think so. Now, when you see a girl, oh. the eyes go out and they say, uh, Hey, brain. Oh. Uh, this is the eye. <laughs> Don't look now, but she's a cutie. She is. She is. A little tall. Yeah. Eight and a half feet tall. I know, but it's a lot of women. A little heavy. I guess to me about 400 pounds, yeah. but uh, not an ounce of fat there. No, she's lovely. Quite a girl. <laughs> it yes. is. Uh, an Amazon. And your brain gets more and more excited. This is the first chance you've had to consort with an Amazon. Next is a blowing systolic murmur of greater intensity. Hearing turns around. Also heard a low pitch early blast. Sorry, this is the ear. You heard that, brain? Another rebuff. Fortunately, you're married. Several times. Yes. You've got 18 wives. Yes. A regular harem. You know it's illegal, but you're a Turk. And you don't mind at all. It's a little hard hiding out in a small Iowa town with 18 wives. Very difficult. You're the kind of guy that can do it. Because you fit in, even with your dark pointed beard and your your uh, burnous. Yes, boy. You're, you're the Sheik of Araby. The Sheik of Araby. One of the greatest harmonica players ever. Never heard of him. Spent every penny that he's made on oil. Yeah. Just to learn how to play. Is he any good? That's what his life is all about now. Goes from country to country. Playing harmonica. Sounds pretty good to me. Travels around in a Rolls Royce. It's got a little harmonica. It's an ornament for the radiator cap. Oh, that's kind of nice. He plays in the back seat. There's his driver. Wearing the Bernus smiles mysteriously in the front seat. Ah. Oh, to what lengths richness will take a man. Here he has millions and millions and millions of dollars. And all he wants to do is... <laughs> all he wants to do is play his harmonica. Well, I can understand that, you know. And he does play well. Different strokes for different folks. See? All the gasoline that you bought. Yeah. Brought a little beauty 
into the world. That's a little cheap harmonica. It's unusual to see him, though, traveling around the Midwest like this. I'd like to see him with a group. In the back seat of a Rolls Royce. Or a closet harmonica player. You know what he wants more than anything? No, what? A gig. A gig? In some little honky-tonk. That should be easy. Or maybe, just maybe... With his money? Someone will stop in and hear him. He could buy a honky-tonk. Give him a break. Yeah, he could make his own break. Say, come on. Sheik. Shake a leg. He can get anything. You're gonna go to the big time. With the money he has. You're gonna play on all the big shows. He could get anywhere. You're gonna make it. It isn't just your money. No, it's the way you play. It's the way you play. It's the way you play. The way is the way you play. You're listening to klfm.org in beautiful Split, Croatia. Do you like gabardine potatoes? I never was much of a gourmet. They're very nourishing and enriched with superb vitamins. I can't stand the taste of vitamins. Well, to be honest, I really buy gabardine potatoes for the box tops. What do you get when you send in a box top? A genuine gabardine potato chip. That's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Uh, a tribute to Ken Nordine. Maybe not even the only, or maybe not only the first. Who knows? Uh, it's a tribute nonetheless to the past Ken Nordine, who uh, we quite miss, and uh, I quite enjoy his work. Uh, we uh, closed that little segment with more excerpts from that first episode of Word Jazz from way back when, and, uh, of course, The Vidiot by Ken Nordine uh, from his uh, Jazz Horizons new Word Jazz stuff. Yeah, um, what a, what a, what a dude, what a, what a, what a broadcaster, what a, what a personality. Uh, there's not really anyone else like him. Uh, nor uh, has there been before or afterwards. It's it's yeah. He's he's a singular. He's a singular thing. Well, you know, I uh, am probably talking too much this week. So why don't I just turn things back over uh, to uh, the man himself? Uh, what can I say? You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no program. Exactly. <laughs> 
Salutations. Be seeing you. subject is uh, well worth going into. Okay, let's go into it. Personal analogies. Let's go into it. Write the names of uh, people that you know. Okay. All of them, you know. Oh, yes, On a, p- a piece of paper. Doris. And in, in each turn, choose a subject. Color, it could be a food, drink, some street, material. Ingrid. And, and you write those across the top. I read. And then everybody sets to it writes against each person's name the nearest analogy he can think of in the different subjects. You can read them out afterward and no one need explain why he thinks you're scarlet or putty-colored or like suet pudding or Pesh Melba or Bond Street or uh, City Road. It's a good way of paying compliments and also uh, paying off old scores. Or take a, a four-letter word is chosen. Say the word gnat. Or love. Gnat. Gnat. Yeah, a mosquito that never made it. And written in capital letters downwards. M. And each person playing the game then provides a category. English musicians, Roman emperors, hothouse flowers, beverages, anything. And each player has to write down four of each category, beginning with the initial letters provided. Easy, perhaps, but no one ever obtains full marks. Naturally, the category each player gives is one which he himself will shine. At least, he will have all four filled in there. And then you have a time limit. Game. Game. I love games. I like games. What games do you play? Golf? Oh, yeah. Tennis? Yeah, I play tennis, yeah. Uh, Chess? Chess, I play chess, yeah. Checkers? Checkers, I play Marshall. checkers. Yeah. Chinese checkers? Oh, not so much. Backgammon? I can't play backgammon. Poker? Poker, I'm favorite. Gin rummy? What? Gin rummy? Yeah. Canasta? Well, yeah. I wonder if there are any big canasta teams. You know, the newspaper, they have uh, bridge games that they line up or practically play for you. Yeah, Advise you how to get better and better at it. Yeah, they don't do that for canasta. Oh, there's a... No, no for hearts. If gambling could be considered a game. Yeah, that's a game. Yeah, it is a game. Dice is a game. You'd like to play dice? Horse uh, betting. They have that in the paper, too. Dice? Or horse betting? Just in the illegal part. They have only gambling in certain sections. It's quarantine. You can gamble in the quarantine section, but you can't gamble out of... It wouldn't be right. They're going to make it so you can gamble on the shuttle. It would be a marvelous thing to have a, a television show. It would be just a paradise in a, in a guy's hand. Hey. Shaking the dice all night long. Be on cable television. And people could gamble at home. Oh, yeah. It would be a great
great job for a guy. With a credit card? What do you do for a living? Oh, I shoot dice on uh, TV. Yeah, I've seen your hand. Oh, you have beautiful hands. Can I see your hands? Yeah, I've seen them. Oh, that's a... You have a lovely hand. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> Ever have a bad night, you know? Yeah, yeah. You threw a lot of uh, bad numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't care. Uh, oh, you... You read with the other hand. Yeah, of course, guys. Yeah, something. This is a, a radio program. Would you, do you think you could uh, play for us here? Sure. Come on, Sammy. Come on, Sammy. I love the way you drum your fingers. Come on, Sammy. Marvelous. You do that Come on, guys. Oh, by the way, uh, Come you on, don't know Sammy. me. Uh, I'd like to introduce myself. My, my name is Ken. Who? Baby needs a new yeah. pair of shoes. Ken. That's all. Come on, dice. Who? Program number one. For a catalog of what's available, the email address is nordine at wordjazz.com. Oh, tell a friend to listen. Sunday is a big day on CBS. Still waiting in the wings to bring you a variety of entertainment are Rocky Jordan, Horace Height, Eve Arden, Joe Stafford, The Whistler, Red Skelton. Now, Del Monte Foods bring you a world of adventure with Rocky Jordan. Chris! Chris! I'm right here, Rock. You want something? I sure do. How'd she get in there? She who? That lady Godiva with a short bob. What lady Godiva? Oh, as if you didn't know. Come on, take a look. But nobody could have gotten in here without the... Well, Rocky... All right, Chris, cut it out. Not bad. Not bad at all. Okay, okay. How'd she get in? I don't know, Rock. Nobody could have gotten past me. Yeah, well, somebody did. And if it's not a gag, there was a reason for it. Either way, I don't like it. Now, get her out of here. Okay, okay. You're the boss. But you may be breaking up the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte, the best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world, takes you now to the Cafe Tambourine for another adventure with Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient east, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story... 
The Face of Diana. Well, that's the way it started. Innocent. Nothing to worry about. Just a gag, maybe. Only before it was over, I found out the joke was on me. And I wasn't laughing. It began when I walked into my office at the tambourine one afternoon to find her staring at me from the opposite wall. Eyes a little too blue, lips a little too red. Chris didn't know how she'd got in, and it was a sure thing I'd never seen her before. What's more, it was all right with me if I never saw her again. Only Chris had other ideas. Uh, Rocky, you really think we ought to get rid of her? Oh, be your age, Chris. You've seen paintings before. Ah, but never one like this. How do you suppose it got in here? It didn't just walk in. Paintings don't have legs. No? <laughs> Look again. All right, all right. People don't just pin pictures on my wall unless there's an angle to it. Yeah, there's a title here. Diana at the Fountain. It may be the artist's signature. Uh... Hello, tambourine. Hello, Rocky. Well, how do you like it? How do I like what? Diana at the Fountain. The picture. What else? Look, who is this? Willie. Willie Rosen. You know, the painter down at the Musky Bazaar. So you dumped that painting in my office. That's right. Those meals you've been letting me have on the cuff, I, I just thought I'd give you Diana, sort of as a payment. Well, look, Willie, forget the bill if you want to, but come and get this thing, huh? Rocky, I haven't got time. I... Wait, Rocky. I can't talk. Willie. Willie, Willie. That's funny. Hung up on me. Who was it? Willie Rosen, the artist. Oh, he brought the picture in for you to keep. Not on your life. Getting rid of it as soon as we can. May I hope, then, that the picture is for sale, Mr. Jordan? I turned around. I don't know how he got there, but he was standing in the doorway. Well-dressed, Egyptian, with the fez of the upper class. But he wasn't looking at me. His eyes were glued on the painting. I nodded for Chris to leave. I asked, sir, if it could be possible that the painting is for sale. Oh, it's possible, yes. Then... Would you mind if I observed it more closely? On display to all customers. Uh, limited time only. Oh, yes, thank you. Well, it's not without merit. Excellent indeed. If you like that sort. May I inquire where you got it? Uh, it's an old family heirloom. Oh, yes, of course. Indeed. Huh. Good perspective, line, coloring. Sure, minor masterpiece. Yes, it might well be. Oh, you know how it is. All the best artists bring their stuff in here for me to handle. Mr. Jordan, I do not intend to pry into where you obtained the picture. But I am quite serious about buying it. What is your price? Price? Oh, it's way too high. Obviously, you do not recognize me. I am Kasha Bay, and I am well able to meet your figure, Mr. Jordan. Uh, okay, I'll go along. You name it. 100 pounds cash. 500. Agreed, Mr. Jordan. The picture is mine. Kasha Bay pulled out a fat roll of bills, paid the 500 pounds, took the picture, and was gone. The price was too high, and it happened too fast, much too fast. I decided to check on Kasha Bay. He was in the phone book, all right. Address on the Nile front in the right part of town. That made me wonder about Willie Rosen again. So I headed for his stall in the Muski Bazaar. That's when I got another surprise. Willie and his paintings were all gone. But somebody else was there. Wax mustache and goatee... Spotless white suit, flop brim Panama hat. And he guessed what I was after. Ah, senor. Do I perceive that uh, you also are looking for Willie Rosen? As a matter of fact, I am. You know where he's gone? I know only that the weaver across the way just told me that he gave up his stall this morning and his painting. I've gone in payment of debts. He, uh, 
owed you money, of course. Oh, no, no. It's the other way around. Oh? But he did owe you money, huh? Me? Oh, no, no, no. Not at all. Purely a professional interest. I will explain that I am Carlo Veroni, senor, an art dealer. Oh, I see. And you're very anxious to buy one of Rosen's paintings. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm afraid not, senor. He's uh, an old friend of mine. I, uh, I have purchased one or two of his sketches at a small price, but only to encourage him, you understand. Oh, sure. Any idea where Willie lives, senor Veroni? His studio is not far from here. As a matter of fact, uh, I was uh, thinking of trying there. If you would like, Sure, senor... Mr. Veroni. Let's go find him. Maroney took me half a block onto a street entrance and up three flights of shaky steps to Willie's studio. I watched Maroney's face as he knocked. There was no sound inside, so he knocked again. Right then, I got the feeling that it was the wrong place to be, but it was too late. Maroney's hand was on the knob and the door swung open. Willie was there, all right, but there was no use telling him he'd just sold a picture. There was a chair tipped over in the center of the floor. Willie's feet dangled about two feet above it, and the rafter was sagging with his weight. Keep this room clear. Well, Jordan? It's like I said on the phone, Sam. Mr. Veroni and I walked in here and found him like that. Very well. There are certain necessary questions. But, uh, of course, Captain Savai. Uh, Willie Rosen was a mutual friend. Uh, we came to inquire about him. It seems he'd been real busy disposing of everything, giving his paintings away to pay off debts. Mm. And even his studio is left bare. It's all quite clear. What does that mean? A man unable to face his own seeming failure, his last effort being to set his affairs in order before... before this. Suicide? You got to that awfully quick, Sam. And is it not obvious, Jordan? Sure. A little too obvious. Oh, come now. You are suggesting murder? And for what purpose? Robbery? Obviously the man had nothing. I talked to him on the phone this afternoon, Sam. He was in good spirits. Hardly sufficient evidence. People are given to heroics at such a time. Yeah, maybe they are. Just the same, you'd better check. Check what, Jordan? I don't know. As I thought. You have no facts. None at all. I just have a feeling, You Sam. just have a feeling. And may I point out you've had feelings before? And may I also point out that you've been wrong more times than you've been right? All right. Play it your way. It's your case. It is indeed. And this time, Jordan... Shall we keep it that way? Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Seems to me we're hearing a lot about budgets these days, and the big question, of course, is how to stay within one. So... I have a tip for you women who are planning ways and means to eat better for less money this year. Cook with the spicy, rich flavor of Del Monte tomato sauce. And that certainly is good advice, Larry. Del Monte tomato sauce really makes thrifty dishes something to talk about. Yes, it is important to cook with Del Monte tomato sauce. It gives you such a clear, zesty flavor, not too bland and not too spicy. A flavor that really builds up your hash, macaroni, or Spanish rice, for instance. And Del Monte tomato sauce is so dependable, too. Ask any good cook you know. Around our house, we've used it for years. Yes, after all, Del Monte is the original tomato sauce. No other brand has matched its marvelous flavor. And what it does for the flavor of the other foods is something wonderful. Something you just have to taste to appreciate. You owe it to your own reputation as a good cook to see that you get the original tomato sauce. 
Del Monte. You're listening to klfm.org in beautiful Split, Croatia. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Face of Diana. Well, I gave up arguing with Sam. He said Willie Rosen's death was suicide, but I wasn't convinced. And there was still Kasha Bay to think about. So I left Willie's studio and walked toward the Sharia Eldin to flag a taxi. But I didn't make it. A face at the street corner stopped me. I'd seen it before, and all at once I knew where. Pretty, eyes almost too blue, lips almost too red. She was the face on that picture Willie Rosen had brought to my cafe. Well, hello, Diana. Waiting for somebody? What? Why... Your name is Diana, isn't it? Why, no. Why do you ask? But you do know Willie Rosen. Oh, yes. Yes, I know Willie. And you? Uh, just a friend. My name's Jordan, Cafe Tambourine. Of course. Willie's told me how kind you've been. I'm Shirley Perron. I noticed the new suitcases, Shirley. Going somewhere? Oh, Willie has been keeping secrets from you, Mr. Jordan. He and I are going to Alexandria to be married. Married? It's kind of sudden, isn't it? Not at all. We've been planning it for a long time. Shirley, did you know Willie had sold his stall in the bazaar? He'd been taking his paintings around to pay off debts, but they're all gone? Of course. That's how he hopes to have enough money so that we can start a little business in Alexandria. Uh, look, I want you to answer one more question. It may be important. Of course, Mr. Jordan. What is it? When did you pose for that picture of Diana? Diana? What picture? The one Willie painted of you. Of me? But he hasn't painted any picture of me. I never posed for Willie in my life. Mr. Jordan, is there something wrong? I didn't have the heart to tell her, but I did get her into a cab and on her way home. What she told me, it started an idea bouncing around in the back of my head, like the little ball on a roulette wheel. And when the wheel stopped, it didn't say suicide. It was murder. Sam had already left Willie Rosen's, but ten minutes later, I caught him at headquarters just as his limousine pulled up. Jordan, you again? Yeah, that's right, Sam. I thought I'd made it clear. You wanted I... facts? I got them. Willie was planning to get married. That's the only reason he was clearing up his debts here. You are sure of this, Jordan? Positive. A man doesn't take his life just as he's about to get married, Sam. Is that all you came to tell me? No. Here are some more facts. Three, four, five. Jordan, what is this? Five hundred pounds cash. I got it this afternoon from a man who came to my cafe looking for one of Willie's paintings. He wanted that picture bad, Sam. I could have named any price. That is odd, very odd. Yeah, it's more than that. Who was this man? Now we're getting someplace. Come on, Sam, I'll take you to him. We got into Sam's limousine and started for the address on the Nile front. When Sam saw what kind of neighborhood it was, he began to get jittery. But he didn't ask any more questions. The house we were looking for turned out to be a junior-grade palace overlooking the river. Sam kept puzzled eyes on me as I worked the knocker. Yes? May I... May I help you? We'd like to see Kasha Bay. Kasha Bay? Jordan, what are you doing? Kasha Bay is here. Please to come in. The servants are out for the night, but I will be happy to show you the way. She wasn't Egyptian, but she was tall and beautiful with a certain dignity. Only I had a feeling she was acting the part. With Sam, it was different. 
He was wiping his forehead with a big handkerchief, and it was no act. Jordan, have you quite gone out of your mind? Sam, what's the matter? Who is it, Countess? These two gentlemen would like to see you, darling. So? Oh, Captain Sabaya. My most humble apologies, Commissioner Kashat Bay. Commissioner? Yes, Commissioner Jordan. I believe you have not met my wife of a few months. Countess, this is one of my most trusted captains of the police, Sabaya Bay. And, uh, Jordan, don't you remember? Uh, it is a pleasure, Captain. And Mr. Jordan. Now, if you two will step into my study, you will pardon us, my dear? Of course, darling. Now, Captain Sabaya, the purpose of your unappointed visit. Commissioner, I, I, I must confess oh, that I'll I... Oh, I'll tell it, Sam. It's about your visit to my cafe tambourine this afternoon, Cachapé. Your cafe tambourine? Yeah, that's right. You bought a picture from me there by a painter named Willie Rosen. You wanted it real bad. Why? Captain Sabaya. Yes, Commissioner. Exactly how long have you been a member of the Cairo Police Force? Well, for almost ten years, Kashabe. It I, is I... unthinkable. But I do not understand. Then I will tell you. I have never seen this Mr. Jordan before. Neither have I been to his cafe, nor have I bought a picture from him. Today or any time. Jordan. Don't believe it, Sam. He was there. Enough. Captain. I shall expect a formal explanation of this affair, and in the proper manner. I, I shall submit a written report as soon as possible, Kashabe, with my apologies. Listen, Sam, why should I lie Jordan, come out of this house now, immediately. Sam marched me out, his fares flying behind him. At the curb, he slammed the limousine door in my face and drove off. Now any hope of further help from Sam was gone. So I caught a cab back to the tambourine. By the time I got there, I was beginning to think I might be wrong. When I walked into my office, two things changed my mind. Both of them were big, native, and nasty. Ah, so you have come back. Howdy, Appendix. Yeah, sure, howdy. Look, this is a private office. But we come for the picture. Ah, I should have figured. Who sent you? Mama. Tell him that we have come for the picture. Okay. As you say, Botar, we come for the picture. Ah, ah, ah. Easy, Naba. Do not strike him yet. Now the picture, Effendi. Okay. You're several hours too late. I think the time has come that I... Oh, no, 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 Naba. Do not hit him yet. Mm. Now, search, Naba. Search. At once, Botar. I leave everything untorn. Hey, have you two ever thought of trying this routine in vaudeville? Picture uh, is not here. I do not find it. Satisfied now, Botar? Perhaps. But if the one who commands is not satisfied... We return. And when we return, we will... No, no, Naba, do not hit him yet. Come, we go now. How do you offend Okay. Sure. Okay to you, too. I forgot to thank them for telling me I was right. The painting Willie had given me held all the answers. I was off to try and find them, first to the art gallery of Willie's friend, Carlo Veroni, on the Sharia Mildan. The hour was late, but the place was still open full of the usual statues and cheap prints of famous pictures along the wall. Peroni was there and somebody else. The girl I'd met on the street that afternoon, Shirley Peron. Oh, Senor Jordan, it is good that you came. I, I've been consoling Miss Peron on Willie's death. Uh, sure. Hello, Shirley. Sorry I didn't tell you about Willie. I... It, it doesn't matter, Mr. Jordan. It's just that I can't understand. The police think Willie did it himself. No, no, that's impossible. We were so happy. Let's clear up something, Shirley. You told me Willie hoped to have enough money to start a business in Alexandria. 
He wasn't going to get it by selling his paintings. But he was. He had one painting he treasured. Not his own, but an original Dega he'd had for a long time. Dega? Miss Peron? Surely not genuine? Yes, I'm certain. And he must have sold it because it... It wasn't in his room when they found him. There wasn't any money there, either. Why, I hadn't thought about that. Suppose somebody was after the Dega. Where would Willie be able to hide it? A uh, moment, Senor George. There is a way used by many to hide a valuable painting. Let's hear it, Mr. Peroni. An artist has only to apply a coating of shellac on the original and then paint another picture over it. Meaning maybe the painting Willie gave to me... My uh... mm, thoughts, you know. Yeah, there's only one way to find out. I'll see you later. Whether Veroni's hunch was right or not, it took me back to the house of Kasha Bay on the Nile. There was a light in one of the upper windows, but the lower floor was dark. I scouted the side windows till I found one that came open. I hit the jackpot. The room was used for storage, full of odds and ends of furniture. I lit a match and went to work. Finally, in a far corner covered by a tapestry, I found it. Diana at the fountain. That's as far as I got. You will observe the gun, Mr. Jordan. I always do. I had hoped you would not return. Now I ask why. Only to find something, Kashape. A valuable Dega painting. I fail to understand. Sure, but you didn't give me 500 pounds just for Diana at the fountain this afternoon. The Dega's underneath, right? Let's have a look. Do not touch the picture. You won't use that gun, Kashape. I regret that you make it necessary. I paid you for the picture, a fair price. Now you are broken into my house and I have every right... Kasha, no! Countess! What are you doing? Do not come in here. There is no other way. No, no, give me the gun, Kasha. Give it to me. Very well. Oh, I uh, suppose I owe you some thanks, Countess. Yes. Yes, you do. However, I, I think it is best that you now know the truth. No, my dear, no. Yes. It is too late to do otherwise. Wait here, Mr. Jordan. She left the room, and in a moment she was back with a bottle that held some kind of liquid. She stepped to the painting, and with a cloth began carefully rubbing the liquid on the face. Slowly, the face of Diana faded, and in its place, another one came through. Only it wasn't anything painted by Dega. It was the face of the Countess, Kasha Bey's wife. So now you know, Mr. Jordan. I see. Countess, hmm? Only you're really just an artist model. You posed for that picture yourself. Yes. I... I lied to become Kasha Bey's wife. I bought up every picture ever painted of me, except this one. To keep your husband from finding out. I did not know that he had learned my secret long ago. So you were both after the painting. Only Kasha Bey got it first. You must understand, Mr. Jordan. I forgave my wife the moment I learned of her lie... But there were others who... Oh, sure. It wouldn't be good. The right people found out. I had presented her as one of station. My position, my future were in jeopardy. And it was even worth strong-arm methods, huh? Who paid Botar and his pal, anyhow? You or the Countess? No, no, no. They were in my employ. And did you have them kill Willie? I... Wait, Mr. Jordan. The Countess had nothing to do with that part. I killed Willie Rosa. No, it is not true. But it is. I went to his studio. You must believe me, Jordan. Uh, it's a good try, Kasha Bay, but it won't work. Willie was killed not more than ten minutes after I talked to him on the phone. You were in my office then, buying his picture, remember? But it could not have been my wife. It could not have been. It could have, but I don't think it was. Yeah, the answer this time's in another painting. Another painting, Mr. Jordan? A dagger. 
An original dagger. And all of a sudden, I think I know exactly where to find it. Senor Jordan, you're back so soon. Yeah, I'm back, Veroni. And the Dega you have found? I sure have. Excellent. And, and where, Mr. Jordan? Well, you figure it out. Willie Rosen, painter, wants to sell a valuable Dega. Now, where would he take it? Where else but to an art dealer, to someone he'd done business with before. An old friend. An old friend? You, Veroni. Jordan, this is preposterous. Only Willie wanted money for that painting, a lot of money, more than you were willing to pay. You insinuate that You I... killed him, Veroni. Should have been obvious from the beginning. Only it all got mixed up with another painting that didn't have anything to do with it. Lies, a pack of lies. If I kill for the digger, what is it now? It's a nice print you got on your walls, Veroni. Those? <laughs> They're only cheap copies. Why? Then I'll buy them. Jordan, what are you doing with it? With this jackknife? It's not for you, Veroni. It's for these pictures. Like this. <laughs> You're mad. You've lost your senses. Not that one, huh? Let's try this next one. <laughs> Not that one either. And maybe this oh, no, one. No, 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 senor. Veroni broke, no. and I knew I had it. He grabbed a phony Van Gogh off the wall and swung. The frame glanced off my head, and I bopped him with a fake Picasso. He shoved a statue of Venus at me. The knife clattered out of my hand. He made a dive, but I grabbed a modernistic print of a hatching ostrich egg, and I came down. Veroni's head poked through where the egg used to be. That's when he decided to call it a day. In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. As most of us know, raiding the icebox is a favorite pastime with the American male. And it's even more of a treat when there's plenty of that zesty Del Monte catsup handy to go with those late evening snacks. Mm-mm, there's nothing like a cold beef sandwich topped off with that wonderful, rich, spiced tomato flavor of Del Monte catsup. Well, as a matter of fact, Larry, Del Monte catsup is wonderful on any food that calls for catsup. As my family's favorite cook, I know from experience how Del Monte catsup adds so much zip and zest to other foods. And one of the big reasons Del Monte catsup has such rich, lively flavor is pineapple vinegar. Yes, Del Monte is the only catsup made with pineapple vinegar, a superlatively fine vinegar that coaxes out all that tempting deep-down tomato flavor. It gives Del Monte catsup an extra lift, a special zip and zest that means real enjoyment. When beans, hash, or chops need extra man appeal, just see if the delicious spiced tomato flavor of Del Monte catsup doesn't do the trick. For downright eating enjoyment, friends, be sure your next bottle of catsup is Del Monte. Back now to Rocky Jordan for the conclusion of tonight's story. Well, my game of pictures with Veroni had stirred up a big noise. The police came and hauled Veroni and me both down to headquarters. Sam took over then, talked first with Veroni for a while. Next, he had me brought into his office, and we were alone. He gazed at me through his horn-rimmed glasses, but I wasn't sure what was going on behind them. Uh, Jordan? Yes, sir? Have I not read that the Indian people of your country had a charming custom to mark the end of hostilities, the offering of the, the peace pipe? 
Yeah, that's right. Have you got one? No. All that I can offer is a cup of coffee. Will you join me? <laughs> Don't mind if I do, Sam. Thanks. Ah, very good. Now, just for the record, there are perhaps a few things you would uh, like to show me. Well, now he listens. I deserve that, Jordan. Uh, forget it. Yeah, it's not bad coffee, Sam. Well, it seems there was an Egyptian official. I, uh, can't remember his name. Can't remember? Uh, oh, yes, of course, naturally. Yes. He married a woman who posed as a countess. But then he got wind of a painting that proved she was a phony. Only trouble was, this got mixed up with another painting that wasn't faked. An original Dega. The one Veroni killed Willie Rosen to obtain. That's it. The motive was simple robbery from the beginning. Only a uh, certain official and his wife stumbled in on it. That, of course, made Veroni think he was very much in the clear. Mm -hmm. That, plus your suicide theory. <laughs> very well, Lord. Yes, very well. Actually, Veroni tripped himself. In trying to lead me off the track, he suggested the idea of one painting over the other. That did it. Mm. Jordan, you still do not recall the name of this, um, uh, official? Funny, it still escapes me. All I remember is that he loved his wife an awful lot. Enough to protect her by confessing to a murder he didn't commit. Love is a strange emotion, Jordan. Is it not? Well, that reminds me, Sam. I gave you 500 pounds belonging to Willie Rosen. There's a girl named Shirley Perron. Willie would want her to have it. And the Dega painting, too. Well, as you say, Jordan, you will find me quite amenable. After all, you have taken a most disagreeable task from my shoulders. Oh? What's that, Sam? The necessity of making a formal apology to... Uh, uh, isn't that odd? Huh. It seems that I, I, too, have forgotten his name. <laughs> well, good night, Jordan. For the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and tomato juice. And Del Monte whole peeled tomatoes. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Larry Roman and Gomer Cool, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jane of Alois Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station, and the story is An Air of Death. Whenever you want a quick dessert or a wonderful salad, think of Del Monte peaches. Sliced or halves, they have the luscious tenderness, the natural sweetness you find only in tree-ripened fruit. Yes, for superb peaches, buy Del Monte, the best-liked peaches in the whole wide world.
Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Mid-Valley Mutations. You're listening to klfm.org in beautiful Split, Croatia.